You are now entering the Brightness. Your hosts are the intrepid and all-knowing Jason T. Gaffney and the insipid and unknowing Kevin Held. Join these two buddies as they explore history and find the bright side in shitty things. Hello. Hello. You're on the Bright Side with Kevin and Jason, your weekly comedy about tragedy. I am your co-host, Kevin Held. And I'm your other co-host, Jason T. Gaffney. Yay. Bah, How bah, you bah. doing? Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> it's Jason T. Gaffney. I'm good. Uh, good. <laughs> A little weird, but uh, good. Well, yes, but we we come to you for that. Yeah. So I bring, I bring the weird to the party. I'd be worried if you weren't. Oh. So... Okay, we should call the doctor. I'm suddenly feeling normal. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> but no, how are things? Good. Yeah. I just got AirPods. So Ooh. I can work out. So you're of the pod people now. I'm now a pod person. Welcome. I like to go for runs, and um, when I had corded earphones, mm-hmm. I kept breaking them because I kept ripping the cords out of my oh, sure. ears because I run really hard. Um <laughs> I do well, things full out. <laughs> I don't run really hard, and when I had corded earphones, I still would sometimes rip out the cord because you know you just you you have arms and they and they and they go places. So sometimes yeah. you rip out the cords, and it's really super awkward because one of two things happens: you either rip the the headphones totally uncomfortably out of your head, yep. and the thing you're listening to keeps playing, yep. or you well one of three things happens, or you rip the cord out of the phone, right? And and that's weird. And then the thing abruptly stops, and then you've got this cord flying everywhere. Or you rip the phone itself out of your pocket, which then falls, and then rips the the yes. headphone cord out of the phone, and then the phone falls on the ground, uh, and the thing stops, and your phone breaks. Yes. None of these are good situations. No. All of which are really saved by the AirPods. I also have pulled. Or hey, you know what? Any Bluetooth enabled. Wireless Device. headphones, yeah. of course. We don't want to be a advocate necessarily for Apple. It, they're good people for the most part. <laughs> but yeah, my favorite was the time that I pulled the wire and I actually like yanked my head down and like gave myself mini whiplash. Oh on my the god! I was like, "This is not a, okay." Four options. Yeah. Good god! <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me to find a way. Oh to get yeah, you have found running. some way to be even more awkward at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. I told you about the time that I started swearing on the treadmill and then had to leave. Because oh, yeah. I to, yeah. <laughs> I like that you left because you caused a scene and you were embarrassed. <laughs> I think we're done here. That's one of my favorite things to watch. When I was was like on YouTube, was is people failing at the gym. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. CrossFit fails, people hurting themselves, falling off the bars. If you stuff fall, like I will laugh. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure you're okay, but I'm going to make you feel real stupid. Yeah. And I expect people to do the same when I fall. You love the fail videos. I, I love, you love them. You love people taking a tumble. But um, did you uh, – let me let me ask you this. When you were preparing to get married, okay, did you watch wedding fail videos? No, because I was worried that I would then do a wedding fail. Well, I watched almost <laughs> nothing but wedding <laughs> fail videos. My road to the altar <laughs> – <laughs> it was all wedding fail videos. No, it was, it was. I wouldn't say it was necessarily a mistake, but it was <laughs> the predominant images in my head. To be fair, ahead of the wedding, you were planning on pieing each other. Oh well, and, and we did. You were also had a, a mechanical. We bowl. had a mechanical bull. We were going to do the hora. Yeah, so as there were well. plenty of possibilities. Sure. 
I specifically told Matt we were not doing the horror because we were outside on cement for our dance floor. And I was like, oh, I'm oh. not about to die because <laughs> of a tradition that is not that neither one of us cares that much about. Yeah. No, we we did it all. We we uh, Nick had my my husband had always wanted to do the horror. Yeah. You know, have it done to him to be the guy in the chair. And it was one of the single most terrifying moments of my entire life. You know no that question. to this day, I will walk away from the dance floor when the horror starts. I will not <laughs> be one of the people holding the chair because of the responsibility of not killing it's too one great. of the, Yeah, it was too great. I thought I was going to die. People legit always go, why aren't you helping? You're mm-hmm. one of the strong people. And I go... I have I bear no responsibility. Oh, I know. I know. Like, oh, it was it that was that was the worst part was the people who were holding me up. I could hear like my groomsman going, "My back, my back." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, and people, you know, people who were holding me up were saying, you know, I can't do this much longer. Yeah, and yeah, you were noticeably not there. Yeah, I, I, I watch from afar, <laughs> Cringing. in case people. Yeah. Fall. Um, yeah, yeah. Matt and I, we were talking about something recently, and I watched someone fall, and I, I giggled, mm-hmm. and then we talked about how I used to go to Rockefeller Center at the oh, ice and watch people and fall, watch and, people fall, mm-hmm. and uh, I definitely had to evil. leave the area because people have been offended at how loudly I'm laughing. Well. And the bitch fell, all right? He made a wow. big spectacle. He fell on his face, uh-huh. and he was—he got he wasn't bleeding, mm-hmm. so I'm allowed to laugh. Of course you are. Yeah. You're, if you're going to fall in public, just expect Jason T. Gaffney <laughs> to laugh at you. <laughs> you were basically asking for it. So. Yes. All right. I'm not victim shaming. Hey. It's reality. Let the word ring out from this place. <laughs> it shall be known. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh... Anyway, uh, what what do we got going on here? You want to uh, jump into things today, or I do anything pressing on your mind? No. Great. So <laughs> while the neighbors are quiet, let's talk about the bright spot. I love it. All right, our bright spot actually this week relates to our Ouija board episode <gasps> because, as you mentioned, a- as part of the bright side okay. of the Ouija board episode, science is investigating what goes on when you're using a Ouija board, actually has applications towards Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah, Is that right? Yes. And so I remembered that, and I just noticed something this week that's going on that also relates to Alzheimer's and dementia. Okay. And the bright spot this week is the music memory box. Oh, okay. Have you heard of this? I, uh, vaguely. Okay. So the music memory box was designed by the 28-year-old Chloe Meinick. Okay, who had experiences with her grandmother, sorry, her great-grandmother has dementia. And so in 2011, she designed this box. And the idea of it is that when you place an object or a photograph in the box, it plays a song that is associated with that object or photograph. Uh So you could see a photo of a loved one or something, and it would play a song that would remind you of that person. Because, you know, smell is the sense that's associated most with memory, right? But music, like auditory sensation, is the the second most. Yes. Right. So, like, even more than seeing somebody that you might not recognize because you have dementia or you have Alzheimer's, hearing the song will put you back in that place in a way that uh, seeing a person wouldn't or seeing just a photograph of that person wouldn't. So... Here's a quote from somebody who's been year- using the box, because they are actually developed already. 74-year-old Monica Garrity, her husband, Steve, has dementia. They've been using the box since 2017, and she said, quote, We have been able to connect again. It is wonderful. He doesn't usually communicate with me, but when the music plays, he hums along and even holds out his hand to grab mine. It takes us back to when we got married. 
And I think it's so adorable. Yes, yeah. I, you're cheering up a little bit. That was what I was going for. Um, so I think this is so, so wonderful. You know, this this woman saw that people respond in this way, and then she's made this device that can really help connect people to their own pasts and their own families yeah. again in a way that they weren't, they're not able to unaided, you know. So what they've done is they've got a fully funded Kickstarter, and they're about to go into production on on the things I love this. wide range, you know, and uh, I think it's going to have wonderful applications for the people who have dementia, have Alzheimer's as well. Yeah, so I want everyone to have a music box. Okay, what, one of these music boxes or yeah. a music box in general? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> one of these. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that you know, and to the extent that the Ouija board played a role in this, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Ouija. But uh, that's our bright spot, and I think it's just really wonderful. We are our family, and we are the people we know and the experiences we've had. Yeah. So to be cut off from those is terrible and horrifying. Right. And to have a connection back to it is life-giving and beautiful. I love this. Yeah. That's our bright spot. Yay. That's all the work I can do. I really am. <laughs> I got nothing else. That was uh, that's a pretty good story. It's been a very, you know, allergies are hitting people hard. Yes. And I'm a little run down, and that's all I could do. Okay, I hope it's enough. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a song to sing to make you feel better. <laughs> um, oompa loompa doopa dee doo. Mother? You did a great job. Good for you. Father? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I expect you have something for me. I do. It well, is nowhere near as sweet and or touching. Well, good. No, that's my job. That's terrible. It's, it would be awful if you gave us something sweet and touching. Yeah. We don't need that. We need some tragedy. <laughs> what anyway. do we got this week? Jason T. Gaffney. Geometric shapes. Oh. Better wages and work week hours. <laughs> okay. Regulations. Are we talking about OSHA? Or no. the the geometrists union? Is geometrist a thing? <laughs> That's right. What? We're going to talk about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory <gasps> Fire. No. Yep. No. Two things to disclose. No. First. I know about this. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you don't know everything. I know some. You I know already some. I know enough to say, oh, no. Yeah. Actually, okay, so full disclosure, before you get to your two things about disclosure, I went to NYU. Uh-huh. And their College of Arts and Sciences is in the same building where the Triangle Shirtwaist fire happened, and that's why I know about it. So I've taken oh. classes in the building that we're about to talk about. Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about it. All right. What were your disclosures? Okay. First, this episode topic was brought to my attention from the wonderful and amazing Kathy Legue, a good family friend of mine. Okay. So thank you, Kathy. Shout out to Kathy. Um, <laughs> and two, while this episode has a lot of really amazing bright sides to come from this, there is a lot of death that is quite gruesome. Yeah. So viewer listening is advised. Okay. Just because... Uh, if you were listening? Yeah. So we should listen to viewers? Well, no, like, you know, like, viewer... We don't have viewers. Viewer... Okay, oh. what we need to do yeah. is you need to stare at our logo the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to this. <laughs> I met... I met... Oh, my God. Yes. Listening, discretion is advised. There it is, discretion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what is a sweatshop? Well, 
I don't know. Merriam-Webster defines sweatshop as, quote, a shop or factory in which employees work for long hours at low wages and under unhealthy conditions. That sounds right. To the point. Yeah. I love a dictionary that gets right to the point. We need more, you know, dictionary definitions of stuff to get us on the same fucking page. I keep going to the dictionary. And it's just dicks. And I don't, I'm like, this isn't my definition. This is just a penis. Yeah, but you stay there longer than on the real dictionary. Well, there's a lot of pretty penises. Go ahead. (laughs) So basically a sweatshop is any workplace where people are grossly underpaid and work in an unsafe environment. Okay. In fact. (laughs) Can you put your AirPods away while we talk about this? (laughs) It's just too distressing. (laughs) Noted. Never mind. There are still sweatshops in the world today. What? (laughs) Even though there are minimum wage laws and overtime laws all around the world, Mm -hmm. there are still corrupt people throughout the world abusing workers. I don't think that's true. So, (laughs) it's true. Mm, Agree to disagree. So, the the first use of the term, according to Merriam-Webster, was in 1884, the Mm -hmm. actual term sweatshop. The practice of sweatshopping, however... Started in the 1830s. Sweat shopping sounds like a 1980s fitness trend. I'm going to go sweat shopping. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wear shoes. You know that there's got to be go. some kind of yoga or Pilates place that's called the sweat shop, right? Isn't there? <sighs> there's got to be. And that's so disrespectful. Bad taste. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking Come at on, you, yuppies. sweat shop, <laughs> hippie, yuppie people. Can you be a hippie and a yuppie at the same time? Yeah, hippie. Yeah, hippie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hippie, bitch. It's like your basic bitch, except you're a yuppie hippie. (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. sweatshop applies to all types of factories. However, it often is used specifically for clothing factories. Okay. That's why, like, most sweatshops are clothing factories, and that's where it kind of originated from. Okay. The slang came from the fact that there was now a middleman in the factory hierarchy called the sweater. What's that? Basically- Wait. Really? Yeah. Sweatshop doesn't have just to do with, like, the temperature and how the... <gasps> no. Oh, my God. The man's job was to force the others to work faster, to start sweating from working, kind of oh thing, like, my get them to sweat. God. Yeah. That's a person's job? That was the person's job, yeah. Well, that's the job to have, actually, if you're going to have to work there all the time. But I couldn't do it, because I would feel bad. I'd be like, sweat, but maybe have a towel. No, it would off. take a really specific personality. Yeah. You don't have it. I don't. No. Basically, the sweater would subcontract the work to the workers, which was a sweat system, and it was not a good time for the workers. What's a sweat system? Sweat system. That's just what sweatshop is. It's like they use a sweat system, which is owner hires the sweater who hires the subcontractor. Okay. So, like, nobody's really employed. It's all subcontractory. Ew. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the, for, like, to put it in today's parlance, uh, they're going to 1099 you. Yes. Sucks. So the first sweatshops were basically set up in tenements, mm-hmm. often in one room in the tenement. Okay. And they would range from only a few people being involved to anywhere up to about 300 people. In a room? Well, I think when it got to about 300 people. We'd need to get a second room. More. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can totally fit 150 people into this 10 by 10 room. Yeah, but you're not counting for the sewing machines. Mm, okay, oh, that's their yeah, problem. Yeah, we'll need a second room. That's their. I'm the sweater. That's their problem. <laughs> Sweat it out, bitch. Wow. But yeah, it, the bigger numbers generally were now you're in a factory, not a single tenement room. All right. Um, 
the sweatshops would often be found in areas where people were often poor or full of immigrants. Mm-hmm. It was very common because these people couldn't defend themselves and fight back and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think you're forgetting the and in there. The and? It's not poor or immigrants. Well, <laughs> yes. They, they often were both, ah. but there were a handful of native locals who mm-hmm. were poor. Just poor. Yeah. You're the lucky ones. You're yeah. just poor. Yeah. <laughs> So London and New York City were the tippy top of having sweatshops back in the 1800s. There were the cat's pajamas. That's actually what they made. They were the selfish tops of the Whoa. sweatshop industry. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chattanooga is the bossy bottom. You know it. <laughs> I can fit 300 people in me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as sweatshops were being formed, many labor unions started to speak out against the conditions of the workers. Okay. They called out the fact that the factories were fire traps and overcrowded with rats and very little air. Sure. Like there was no good ventilation. It was a shit show. Yeah. Really awful, awful working oh, conditions. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, workers age ranged from 14 years old all the way up to their like middle 40s. At which point they died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that that 14-year-old children were allowed to work in these terrible conditions yeah. and were doing like very grown up jobs and huh, the majority You know what it taught them character <laughs> the majority of the the workers were in their teens from mm-hmm. what i read and they would work 7 days a week no yeah, weekend well, no weekend well, no we didn't you. invent the weekend until after that yeah yeah they would actually work from 7am until 8pm and they would get a half hour break for lunch and that was it no time off yeah. You just basically wake up, work, and then go to sleep. Yeah. No. No, no, no. No, no, no. For years. Not to. No. I mean, like, anybody can do that for something that they, you know, for some passion project or something. Like, yeah. you can put a lot of time into something that you're passionate about, and it won't bother you. Right. But that? Mm. Like, filming for a month, hard days, right. I can do, right. because then I get several months not doing that well and also you know there's it's something you're passionate about something you really want to put and, into the world and right. stuff but nobody i mean if you're making a thousand you know scarves in a month big deal that there's a thousand more scarves than there were exactly before so are you really passionate about that there needs to be more scarves i'm working as hard <laughs> as i can um Basically, when it was required, they would work all day without stopping. Mm-hmm. Like they would, if it was like there was a big shipment coming in, they're like, "You will work." Mm-hmm. And the sweater was like, "Work, work, work." And then Britney Spears came out and she's like, "Work, work, 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 work." So Britney was doing a really mean cover of a Rihanna song. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Britney, and Rihanna came out. <laughs> Rihanna came out and went, "You better work, bitch." And they looked at each other. <laughs> Britney culturally appropriated Rihanna. They were both super confused. Yeah, I thought it was Britney. Wow, shows you how much I know of my gay icon. <laughs> anyway, the workers yeah. with no weekends, their pay was $6 a week. Well, it was a different time. Mm. $6 a week, you could buy like a country house. No, you could you not. You could totally. You could not. These people were living large. If they had any time off, they would have been living large. Yeah. If... That wasn't shitty enough. Mm-hmm. They were forced to bring their own thread, needles, irons, and sewing machines. What? And I'm like, why even have a factory then? What? Why not let them work from home and bring the supplies to you? Like you had to, and you had to supply your own all of that. Yeah. Oh, that will take a slice out of your six dollars. Yes. Okay. In the 1890s, workers started requesting more pay and better conditions at their respective factories. How'd that go? Well. 
unions it went well great well, <laughs> unions and organizations were formed but they really didn't have power yet like they they people belonged to unions but they was no like we are in charge yeah there were a few obstacles for them to overcome it was they would mostly do just like the coffee clatch yeah <laughs> they just get together and vent no they would get together around the only vent that there was <laughs> <laughs> That's where that uh, phrase came from. <laughs> oh. I need to vent. No, no, no. I need the vent. I need I'm the about vent. to die. Yeah. One of their biggest obstacles was their own fear of oh. the Well, employers. sure, because, you know, with, with, in a non-unionized situation, of course, you have no power right. and you will be replaced immediately. And that's, like, absolutely how the bosses would... Right. Like, you got a problem, you're fired. Yeah. And we'll get someone in that seat who, you know, has got a nicer sewing machine than you do. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Okay, so in 1909, a 19-year-old badass woman named Clara Lemlich, mm-hmm. who had already had her ribs broken by anti-union thugs, mm-hmm. was at a meeting of the local 25 of the International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union. Okay. So she's at this union meeting. She's already had her ribs broken once, mm-hmm. but she's like, whatever. I don't have a life anyway. It's better to have broken ribs than non-broken ribs. I don't know. She's just a beast. I, it's, okay. I'm just going to put this out there. It's not better to have broken ribs than non-broken ribs. It's not. <laughs> it's better not to be beaten up. Sure. Right. You know. But it's not better to have broken ribs than non-broken ribs. She was fierce. She was like, I can do it. I can live my life in pain. Like, whatever. I stitched it back up and yeah. I'm fine. So as she was listening to the speeches at the mm-hmm. union, they're basically getting ready to vote on if they're all going to go on strike. Okay. And she heard a bunch of the men in the union who were speaking about how striking was probably the wrong way to do things. And she's getting all like kind of like annoyed, like, we're here to vote on a strike. And everyone keeps bashing the idea of a strike. Hmm. She's like, I've had my ribs fucking broken. I'm ready to go on strike. Mm-hmm. She's like, I need a little time off. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> she had an ulterior motive is all I'm saying. <laughs> she knew what she needed. Oh, man. She's a strong, independent woman sure. who needs a week oh, off to yeah. fix her ribs. <laughs> I'm a strong, independent woman who don't need no air. Yeah. <laughs> so the meeting featured Samuel Gompers, the American Federation of Labor President. He was going to be their guest speaker. Okay. And he was really getting the crowd going. Just enjoying Gompers. Gompers. Like, you've been Gompered, bitch. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So Clara basically claims that she was ready for the strike vote, and she got really discouraged after Samuel Gompers left the stage that they sent another speaker up after him. Like, he got everyone riled up to go vote in favor of a strike, Mm. And And now they're sending another, like, naysayer up there. And she's like, enough. So she jumped to her feet and ran up to the stage and said, quote, I want to say a few words. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, they let her up to talk. And she is quoted saying, quote, I have no further patience for talk as I am one of those who feels and suffers from the things pictured. Mm -hmm. I move that we go on a general strike now. Hello. Right after that statement, the audience lost their collective minds and gave her a standing ovation and voted that night, November 22nd, to go on a giant general strike. Okay. The next day, Mm -hmm. over 15,000 workers walked out on strike. Whoa. The following day, the numbers swelled up to 20,000. Over 500 factories were shut down in New York City. Wow. So this is 1909. Yeah. Awesome. What did they want? Non-broken ribs. Yeah, sure. (laughs) When do we want it? As soon as possible, please. Quote from Mm AFLCIO.org. Quote, they demanded a 20% pay raise, a 52-hour work week, and extra pay for overtime. They wanted 
52 hours. They, but that, my name no, used to I have... No, I know, I know. I mean, like, the vast improvement over the 90 they were working or yeah. something. Oh, my God. They also wanted workers to have sanitary conditions. A young, striking woman is quoted... Well, that's a bridge too far. <laughs> she's quoted saying, quote, unsanitary. That's the word that's generally used, but there ought to be a worse one used. <laughs> she's like, it's not good enough. Sure. And I'm like, damn. Well, yeah, it's 1909, so you can't say anything more strenuous than unsanitary. Right. You can't say, I work in a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> they did. They did, They though, did work, work in, in a shithole, shit yeah. The strike was so effective that about 70 factories agreed to the workers' conditions in only 48 hours. Hello. They were just like, yeah, done. Like, yeah. we can't, like, you win. Yeah, in those two days... You know, not a single bow tie was made. Yeah. In Who would, what about all the men that need bow ties? I mean, a lot of men needed bow ties. <laughs> give in to them. Give in to them you, now. The, I mean, you're you're laughing, but I mean, all the men needed bow ties. I, yeah. And hats. And all the men were like, where's my straw hat? It's a complete... Yeah, exactly. I broke right. my last yeah, straw exactly. hat. I need my new one. So you should not be joking about this <laughs> in such a flippant way, okay? Because these are absolute necessities for people. Yeah. They're gonna, By people, I mean men. They're going to break my hat if I'm not wearing the right hat. Well, yeah. I need to wear a bow tie, too. And when they break my hat, I need to get another fucking hat. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not even like a person needed a bow tie. You need, like, three or four yeah, they per may, person. They might twist my bow tie and Anything twist my nipple happen. at the same time. You need time. to be prepared, because if yeah. you don't have a bow tie, are you really a man? Exactly. No. <laughs> the answer is no. Okay, for most of the factories, the pay raise and all that stuff was enough because, like, that was their big problem with the work week, the pay, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the Triangle Factory had extra stuff. Their bathrooms were so bad that the women had to leave the factory to go to the bathroom elsewhere. You're kidding. That's how unsanitary things were. Whoa. It was just, like, it wasn't getting cleaned. It so was terrible. So not even hovering is going to do it. No. Enter the owners of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, mm -hmm. Max Blank and... Isaac Harris. Okay. Total dick faces. All right. They... I, I love that. I, this is getting surreal to me because... Well, what is a shirtwaist? It's basically a blouse-type shirt thing for women. Okay. It's crazy to me that when you say, like, enter these assholes... Right. Like, they entered through the same doors that I did to go to my psychology lecture. Yeah. You know? Which is so crazy to me. But okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They hated that women were leaving the factory to go to the bathroom elsewhere. Well, sure. They're like, this sucks. Well, what? A, oh, that's your own fucking problem. If you would take care of your own facilities, then, then they wouldn't have downtime when they have to leave. Right. Fuck you. So they then decided that they didn't want people leaving in the middle of the day, so they made the managers lock the exits to the factory to prevent the women from wasting time. Mm, so wasting you, time by right. going to the bathroom in a sanitary place so that they mm -hmm. won't get fucking UTIs and right. other ailments. Uh, the only person with the key was the foreman. Mm -hmm. That's the only person who has the key. The owners were also incredibly anti-union and they owned some of the biggest factories in the land. So in fact, mm -hmm. they hated the, that the workers were striking so much that they went to the owners of the other 20 largest factories to form a coalition of assholes. They're like, we, they didn't call that themselves. No, I think that is it. Yeah. yeah. No, COA. I've mm -hmm. <laughs> heard like, of it. They're like, we're not going to give in to anything. Mm -hmm. We're powerful. Yeah. As you, as you talk about this, I am just feeling the rage building oh. in me. Yeah. Knowing a little bit about where this is going. So they knew that the union leaders all worked in their big factories, mm -hmm. and they thought that if they could shut down the union leaders, they could stop this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so basically, they're like, we're do or dying this. Wow. 
they hired thugs to beat up the workers and then tried to get the politicians on their side so they could use the police to beat up the workers, too. They're like, we we want to have it all. Hired thugs are so expensive. Yeah. If we could just pay one bribe, then we could just take care of it. Yes. And the police did step in and arrested a ton of uh, striking people. What um, for? Disturbing the peace? I don't know. They, yeah, that. What are you going to arrest them for? Not working? Essentially, I... yeah. Before long, the workers were uh, who were arrested. There's no such thing as a weekend yet. <laughs> were sent to the judges to be fined and in many cases sentenced to work in labor camps. Holy shit. Yeah. They're like, you don't like low wages? How about none? Yeah. And you're also building roads. Yeah. All right. So there were a fair amount of judges who were super anti-union as well. And one judge is quoted saying, quote, you are striking against God and nature whose law is that man shall earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. You are on strike against God. And now we will take a three hour recess. Yes. And all I can think of is you are a dick who probably had daddy help buy you away onto the court. So don't even try and say that you worked your brow there. Undeniably true. Yeah. Yeah, Probably a person who never sweat in his life. Right. But he does like the robes. Yes. So keep making those. Yeah. Let's yeah. see, you, you strike at the very heart of judgeship when you go after the garments. Oh, yeah. Because being a judge is mostly about the flowing robes. Well, yeah, because then you don't have to wear pants. No, you don't have to wear pants. Right, exactly. Your robe is it. I always thought it'd be a really good judge because I because don't like of wearing the robe? pants. Sure. Yeah. And also, you do love wearing capes. Yeah. <laughs> I love a cape. So you could, at the same time, not wear pants and pretend you had a cape on. I, they could call I mean, me... judge a... is kind of the ideal job for you. Yeah. Mm. And I get to judge people. And be like, you're innocent. I love you. You would be the most lenient judge <laughs> that there ever was. All right. The Triangle Factory owners also decided to hire a bunch of replacement workers that and fired all the striking workers. They're so like, you're all fired. Sure. We're going to hire all these people. But public opinion shifted dramatically and it was in the union's favor yeah so all the politicians yeah, are suddenly like people are, like there's vastly more of members, them than yeah. the owners yeah. and the, their family members are getting put in jail and, yeah yeah during this time a few rich white women who were pushing for the right to vote saw all the women workers getting arrested and they got pissed off the two biggest names were ann morgan daughter of jp morgan mm-hmm. and alva belmont who was the wife to william vanderbilt Okay. And they were like the leaders of the suffragists. Mm-hmm. And their opinion was that if they had the right to vote, then they would be able to be treated better, like women in general, rich and poor. Yeah. And it's I mean, not, they're not wrong about this. No, they're not wrong about that. Right. And when you have absolutely no say in politics, then politics sort of happens to you. Yeah. And so they decided to piggyback onto the movement, which is like the best thing they could have done. Like they used their white rich women privilege mm-hmm. to jump in and be like, these striking people deserve fair treatment. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up getting 15,000 workers in Philadelphia to go on strike as mm-hmm. well. So the strike was now spreading. Mm-hmm. And if that wasn't enough for the factories, the newly hired Triangle factory workers also went on strike. They're like, these conditions are shit. We now know why people went on strike here. Fantastic. Fuck all y'all. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. At the one month mark of the strike, the larger factories had now completely lost the public from their side at any sort of semblance of uh, public support. And they now they only had the politicians, judges and police. Damn. (laughs) What will they do? Well, they lost those guys, too, (gasps) because now. Yeah. Because some rich white women got involved. Yeah. Yay. 
basically they needed to bow to the wishes of the workers mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I wanted to be the dom. Now you're the dom. Mm-hmm. It's tragic for them. But I'm like, well, you were a dick. You weren't a yeah, good dom. Well, that's why, you know, role play works both ways. Yeah, it does. So <laughs> they, however, refused to have closed shops. Mm-hmm. Basically, a closed shop is a factory that's union only. So they're like, we'll do what your demands are, but we're not going to be a union factory. We're still like, you can be a union member, but we're still going to just pay people what we pay people. Mm-hmm. They agreed to lower the work hours and increase the pay. So basically the strike worked. Right. And by February 1910, the strike was over and the local 25, which was only a few hundred members when the strike had started, was now over 20,000 workers. Hello. We're now part of this union. Okay. Which is just, like, epic. It's great, because they're like, oh, when there's a lot of us, we get shit done. Yeah. Okay. So everyone went back to work, and everything's pretty good, mm-hmm. except at the Triangle Factory. The, oh, the man. Triangle owners, Max well, and Isaac. pretty good is a relative term, I would have to, yeah. would have to imagine. It's better. Yeah. So the Triangle owners, Max and Isaac, didn't give anyone a union contract. They're just like, you're just going to get paid when you get paid. Like, we're going to do better wages, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But we're not fixing the toilets. We're not fixing the toilets. We're also not going to unlock the doors because we're afraid that workers are stealing from us. Uh, and I'm like, what do you think they're stealing? Well, they steal bring a their patch own... of silk? Well, no, they bring their own yeah, fucking I know. They bread. have to supply their own yeah. like materials. What? Yeah, it's well, not stealing. That's taking stuff home. That's yeah. yours. It's not. None of the stuff that they bring into the factory is yours. You selfish fucking assholes. Jesus Christ. So yeah, but we have one fewer ceiling tile than we had earlier <laughs> this week. I want to point out that while I was reading articles about this fire, I was really fucking turned off by an article by Peter Liebhold. Mm-hmm. He wrote, "Quote." While calling the Triangle Waste Company owners greedy was not a perfect assessment, it's true that they were not saints. Mm -hmm. Max and Isaac were hard-driving entrepreneurs who, like many other business owners, cut corners as they relentlessly pushed to grow their enterprise. I really struggle with not calling them greedy when you say they cut corners, because that's exactly what greedy people do. You cut corners at the expense of other people Uh, to make more money. So, like, his whole article was like, I'm just saying both sides are bad. And I'm like, you can fuck right off, Yeah, Peter. He, they, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I mean, he's just wrong. Yeah. He's just wrong. Anyway, I think that his argument's really bad because um, he's a dick. <laughs> anyway. I submit to you. Well, no, I think what he was trying to say, his, his failed argument was everyone did that back then, so nobody was called greedy. Yeah. And it's like, just because they all did it, that meant they're all greedy. Exactly. That's not, exactly, that's not how it works. It's like, if you, this is entirely why we have, like, regulation, because unregulated industry is regulated only by capitalism and greed. Right, right, right. And that's, you know, its own set of horrible craziness, you know, that benefits a very small percentage of the people and does not prioritize anything like sanitation, Worker health. Right. So to call them not greedy, but just a hard-driving entrepreneur, no. 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 A hard it means that greed was the only motivating factor for them. Right. And that any regulation would cut into that. Right. <clears throat> so another uh, kind I'm of... just stepping right down off this soapbox, and then I will be back in my chair. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so another fun fact about the greed of Max and Isaac... <laughs> was that it was common practice for the factory owners to burn down their own factories to collect on insurance. Uh, 
Okay, I mean, I've heard of that, I guess. In fact, it was known that these factories were fire traps, and because politicians were paid off, nobody ever called them out on it when a fire happened. In fact, in 1902, Max and Isaac had their triangle factory burned twice to collect money. Uh. And they also had another company called the Diamond Waste Company, and they burned it in 1907 and 1910. Wow. Now, this is so, I feel like they just, they were getting more and more complicated with their geometric shapes yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah there's there's a sense in which like the the destruction we're about to see at least saved us from the like trapezoid <laughs> shirtwaist company yes <laughs> so to be fair to max and isaac they Let's weren't not... totally heartless <laughs> in the sense that they did the fires before the workers would come in so that they wouldn't kill anybody okay they just wanted to collect their money okay they're not killers no they're not killers they they're neglectful, they shitty just, people. Right. They just who, want the money. Yeah. This is... Well, who's this guy that wrote that other fucking paper? Peter? Yeah. Who argues they're not just about greed? They burned the place down to collect... Twice to collect insurance money. Four, four di- they burned two different factories twice to collect insurance money. That is squared. Okay? They yeah. burned two <laughs> factories squared. Yes. And we're calling them not greedy. Exactly. Okay. So, quote from history.com, quote... While this was not the cause of the 1911 fire, they're starting their own fires, mm-hmm. it contributed to the tragedy. Yeah, and, they were certainly preparing it to be burned down at some point. Right. As Blanc and Harris refused to install sprinkler systems and take other safety measures in case they needed to burn down their shops again. So, so they really were. They were preparing to burn the place fucking down. Yes. Someday. Someday we might need to burn it down. Yeah. Obviously when no one's there. Yeah. But why would we put up... <laughs> <laughs> like fireproofing situation when we're just gonna burn it down. I'll bring the marshmallows. Good God! Yeah, yeah right. So we come upon the day of the fire. Okay, March twenty fifth, nineteen eleven, four forty p.m. Yep. It was almost the end of the workday, but one of the cutters, a predominantly male job who cuts fabric, not like they cut themselves. Um, <laughs> it was, wasn't. It wasn't a person in a corner of the shirt waist factory <laughs> that was just, just doing cries for help all day. Oh God! Good. That's, a, that's, that's our cutter. A hell of a job. He's that's. Oh, that's Seth. He's so emo. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes me. He's supposed to be an accountant. Yeah. And he's just doing that. Oh. <laughs> well, anyway, it was all the men that did it, which mm. makes sense since we're way more emotional and emo than women. Yeah. Which is true. Yeah. Just look at Jared Leto. Anyway, he was smoking. In the factory, despite that being a no-no. There's like a few rules. Was it a no-no? It was a no-no. Okay. It was a big no-no because they, right. everyone knows it's a fire trap. Okay, but I mean like the uh, the other side of that is that everyone smoked everywhere all the time. Right, but you weren't – they they specifically were like no smoking in the factory that could burn down. Sure. Um, At a time we don't want it to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these people who had smoking addictions weren't allowed to go out and smoke. Oh, sure, sure. Because the doors were locked. Mm. So the cutting bin – was basically filled with scraps, about two months' worth of scraps. Yeah. It went up in flames super quickly oh. because the cinder from a cigarette or a cigar fell into it. Just okay. like, it was like, foom, foom. Yeah, yeah. The manager on site attempted to put out the fire, but the hose that was on that level to put out fires was filled with holes from rotting. Mm-hmm. And the water valve was unable to move due to rust. Okay. So, like, no water is coming. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, oh, yeah, sure, it was a cutter. It wasn't Max or Isaac, right? Yeah. No, it wasn't them. They had actually brought their children to work that day, and they were up in the building when the fire broke out in the factory. 
that they were they were both there with their kids yes okay so i think we can rule out the idea that they set the fire themselves right sure the fire was on the eighth unless they're really clever (laughs) they're not no they're just greedy shits okay so the fire is on the eighth floor right i didn't know it happened on bring your kids to work day i know that's terrible terrible so fire starts on the eighth floor right and they had a system where you could call up to other floors. So they could call up to the 10th floor where the owners and their kids were and say, like, there's a fire. Get it the fuck out. Mm-hmm. But there's no alarm system in the factory. So they can't alarm and alert the people on the 9th floor. No, they just had to make a series of calls. Yes. Okay. So the owners with their kids ran to the roof to escape that way because there's other buildings nearby and they can oh. basically jump to other roofs and I stuff. See. And other workers followed them. One such worker, Rose Friedman, who ended up living to be 107 years old, Hello. survived following them, and after the fire became a lifelong supporter of unions. Uh, sure, so, yeah. She, she talks about that. So they got to the roof and jumped to other buildings? They Yeah, they got to safety by going to another building. Wow. The only way that the ninth floor workers would learn about this was that the smoke and fire reached them. Oh. So nobody thought to call? N- no. Max? Nope. Isaac? Uh, any, anyone want to... Give your own fucking staff a little buzz. Nope. No, just get your kids and yourselves yep. safe. There you go. So at this time, there was only one working elevator out of the four that were in the building. And it was only able to take four loads of workers down before it broke due to the fires. Oh, God. So they only got four sets of workers. Elevator fulls yeah. out. The stairs were super small, and the fire escape was also super small. If they needed to use it, which they did, it would have taken hours to get everyone out of the building. God, really? That's how small How many people were in the building? Hundreds. Oh, yoy, yoy. Before long, firemen had shown up to help fight the fire and save the victims, but the foreman with the key to the door had already fled and left the others behind, leaving the door locked. Fled? Yeah, fled. Was like, I'm out of here. Like, and didn't stay anywhere close by with the fucking key? Nope. Didn't open any doors that he could open? Nope. For the people who were going to burn to death inside? Basically. Okay. 36... What's his name? I don't know what his name is. We never found his okay. name. And I, I didn't find it. Well... I'm sure somebody knows who did it. Yeah. But... I want to find that person. But he's probably dead. This is 1911. Probably, probably he dead, died by yeah. now. So 36 workers would jump into the elevator shaft to their deaths Mm. rather than be burned. Mm -hmm. 58 would jump onto the sidewalks, and many would aim for life nets. And in one case, three jumped at the same time into the same net and ripped it, so it didn't work. The ladders only reached to six stories, so they couldn't use the ladders to the eighth floor and the ninth floor. 49 workers would either burn or suffocate to death. The fire was over in 18 minutes. What? It was that fast of a fire. I never knew that. Yeah, it was insane. And that was it. And it was so you're just working like you do every day, and then this maelstrom happens to you. Yep. And then it's over. And then it's over. And just devastates your whole situation. Oh, my God. So in mid-April, Max and Isaac would be brought up on charges of first and second degree manslaughter. That's good. Their trial would begin on December 4th, 1911, okay. and survivors would testify against the greedy fucks. Yeah. Their their lawyer, Max Sewer, which is really funny because he's a lawyer, <laughs> yeah. he sues people. Oh, um, sure. I, I was thinking Sewer in the kind of like biological waste definition, yeah. <laughs> which I feel, if he's defending these people, it also applies. Yeah. 
Uh, well, anyway, he was able to fuck up the prosecution by asking Kate Alterman, one of the um, survivors, mm-hmm. to repeat her testimony over and over. She kept saying the same thing, and he claimed that the prosecutors had the witnesses memorize their statements. Uh. Even though she, like, lived this traumatic experience, and she's not going to f- fucking forget it, because she watched 150 people yeah. die, Yeah, like, who she worked with. So, But did that work? Yeah, the idea was it, it destroyed her character, that she was, like, that a That she was consistent over her own story? Yeah. Multiple times? Yep. What fucking upside-down world are we living in? Right. So then the prosecution changed their argument that the men locked the doors and knew about it, which was what caused all the deaths. And the defense said there was no way that his clients knew that they were still doing that in their factory, even though they fucking knew. They were in the factory at the time. Yeah. Okay. The jury acquitted them. (sighs) So they were found not guilty. No. However... How'd they do in the court of public opinion? (laughs) Not well. In 1913, Max and Isaac would lose a civil suit and were forced to pay $75 per victim lost to the fire. That sounds right. However, this was no big deal to them because they had made $60,000 from the insurance, which amounts to about $400 a victim. They made money on this. Yes. Mm. Now... Max would get arrested one more time in 1913 for keeping the doors locked during the workday again. <gasps> he was found guilty this time and given a $20 fine, which apparently is the smallest amount he could be fined for this endangering act. I hate everyone. Yeah. Okay. Their sham of a trial wasn't the only thing that came from this horrible loss of life, however. Yeah. Only a week after the fire, Anne Morgan and Alva Belmont, our rich white women for change from earlier, had a giant meeting at the Met Opera House for action for fire safety. This would lead to a funeral march a few days later where 350,000 people all wore black and marched for the victims. In in honor of the victims of the shirtwaist fire. Yeah. I've uh, heard of that. I think I remember seeing images of that. It's photos are intense. Yeah. I mean, the photos of the actual fire yeah. is terrible, and yes. that's part of what helped public opinion and everything. Mm-hmm. In the city itself, in New York City itself, a committee on public safety was created, and Frances Perkins, who basically was the leader of it, who would become the first female cabinet member, okay. worked to help make the working conditions better and have shorter work weeks for the workers, even shorter than the 50-whatever hours. Even shorter than 52 hours? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Socialists. Only three months after the fire, the governor of New York signed a law which made the Factory Investigating Commission. They would be then able to search over 2,000 factories and help Mm. to make over 38 laws for fire safety and working conditions for women and children right away. All right, right let's regulate the shit out of these people. Yeah. Yes. So, quote from I'm such a nerd. I am getting so excited for like regulation coming in. I must be a Democrat. So, quote from Wikipedia: "Quote, new laws mandated better building access and egress, fireproofing requirements, the availability of fire extinguishers, the installation of alarm systems and automatic sprinklers, better eating and toilet facilities for workers, and limited the number of hours that women and children could work." (laughs) Boom. Also, you had to separate eating and toilet facilities. Yes. Also. (laughs) Slash. Stop (laughs) stop making them eat while they're shitting. Eating, comma, toilet. (laughs) So... 
basically from the time that the fire happened through 1913 and all of the trials and everything, mm-hmm. 64 new laws would end up being created and encouraged by the Factory Investigating Commission. Okay. And signed into effect. Okay. All stuff that was fucking necessary. All stuff that curbs just greed. That just points out 64 laws means that's how shitty it was. That oh, they yeah. needed 64 individual laws created. Right. Because that's how taken advantage these workers were. Well, completely. And how poorly I mean, treated. I, that goes back to what I was saying before. It's just like when you're completely unregulated, the only rules are how much money can we make. Right. So what is the bright side? <sighs> it's a rough episode, I know. Folks. A little we bit, just it. because how many people died? 150? Over 150. Over 150 people. So that's that's a downside. Yes. Uh, I expect regulation is a lot of the bright side. Yep. Right? So I found three big ones. Okay. First, a fuck ton of laws were enacted to prevent this shit from happening again. Yeah. Now, there have been other tragedies like this that happened since, for sure. Yeah. But there's way less because the laws and regulations and investigations and inspections. Like, there are still some corrupt people out there who break the laws and they cheat and stuff. Mm -hmm. But most factories now are well managed. And I mean, I joke about it and stuff, but regulation saves fucking lives. Oh, totally. And the other the other big thing that kind of came from this is that the workers created really strong unions mm-hmm. that like for many years would be supportive and yeah and we've helped. destroyed them again now it, but were, they were really strong for a while well and we're starting to see big strikes happening i, I don't know if you saw it, but there's a 36,000 worker strike in the new england massachusetts area for the um uh, stop and shop grocery stores i did not see that. they're not being treated well and they all walked off the job, mm-hmm. and a lot of people in Massachusetts are having to go to different grocery stores because further away, mm-hmm. because their grocery grocery stores are shut down. Right, and um, you have to and, stop and notice that the shop is closed and yeah. then go somewhere else. <laughs> you have to stop and shop elsewhere. <laughs> um, you have to now. You have to stop twice. <laughs> stop, go, stop, and shop somewhere else. How many times do I need to stop? We can't even fit that on the sign. I just need to a bed. <laughs> Give the workers what they want. I need my bread. Stop and go and stop and go and stop and yeah. go. <laughs> so the other thing that I wanted to point out, though, is that, like, this movement was led by women. And True. I want to give a shout out to that and a kind of a bright side to that because, like, we – that gets missed in history. Mm-hmm. Like, Clara and the two women from the suffrage movement, mm-hmm. like, they helped propel this to the spotlight, mm-hmm. which is why we have the good work weeks we do, which is why we have – minimum wages which is why we have safe conditions which you know like and i never knew that growing up this is um that is huge and 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 those women are heroes yeah absolutely all right uh is that what we got yeah thanks for bringing this to my attention thank you kathy for bringing up this topic and thank you to the suffragettes and the union organizers who gave us unions and the right to vote for women yeah Mm mm-hmm Thanks, everybody, who was listening this week. Keep listening. Keep rating and reviewing. Thanks for joining us, and come back next week. Yes. Bye. Bye. I cut myself so I can feel anything at all. We hope you've liked this episode of The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. If you did, please throw us some stars and give us a review on iTunes. It really helps others find the show. And if you didn't, just keep it to yourself or tell your diary. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Brightside K and J, and on Facebook at The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. All our past episodes are also streaming on our website, www.thebrightsidewithkevinandjason.com. Until next week, don't forget to look, look on, on the, the bright, bright side. side.